there's an old adage that um, says that all of us are in one of three places. And by the way, your notes are on the back of your bulletin if you received a bulletin. If you didn't, you can go to unischurch.com slash notes. You should be able to find an outline there that you can fill out and, and keep along, go right along with us today. But we're in one of three places. In fact, I, I know I had an old pastor at, at one point that told me we are in one of three places. Either we have just gone through a difficult time, we are going through a difficult time, or we are about to go through a difficult time. All of us are in one of three places that we've just gone through, we're in the middle of, or, or we need to be preparing because something is on the horizon. We're going to go through a difficult time. And a lot of people go through stressful situations where they're, they're overwhelmed and, and maybe job or financial stability. Maybe it's relational between you and your children or, or you and your spouse or, or maybe even you and your friends. And you're carrying this, feels like what is the weight of the world on your shoulders when you're facing this sickness or you're, 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 you're trying to overcome this struggle. And then all of a sudden, some well-meaning Christian comes up and adds their two cents to your load and, and amount that you're already carrying. And it's just that little two cents that is sometimes the straw that breaks the camel's back. When you don't feel like you can take one more thing, a Christian comes up and says, Well, you know, when God closes a door, He opens up a window. And that's good news unless you're on the 12th floor, right? I mean, it's, maybe that's not good for you. And I don't know about you, but uh, at 19, I might have been able to get through a window. But there's some parts of my body don't just squeeze through windows anymore at 34 years old. You know, so I need God to open me a door. I don't need just a window. I need me a door to walk through. Or maybe they'll say, well, God helps those who help themselves. No, where is, who, no, who said that? Where do we even get that from? Like I get it's a biblical principle that we do do everything with all of our heart is unto the Lord. But God helps those who, stop saying stupid stuff to people. Seriously. Like if you don't have, I'm sorry, I'll try not to say that in second service. That's, if you don't have something like relatable to say, nobody needs your super spiritualism when they're already stressed out. Or here's the one that we're going to talk about today, okay, that God never said, by the way. But God will never give you more than you can handle. He'll never give you more than you can handle. You know, sometimes those things that, that God gives you, they're not necessarily bad things. Sometimes they're just like 17 birthday parties within a 48-hour period. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's three babies under the age of four. And, and one of them has done one accident here. The other one's doing another accident here. And the other one's bleeding over here. And you're like, I can't clean up blood in three accidents at the same time. And my wife went on a trip. What in the world is going on? Sometimes God may give you. Maybe you're planning a wedding. <laughs> Why do we do that to ourselves, by the way? Do you know it's really inexpensive to have a wedding in my office with a witness? It really is. <laughs> like, it serves the same purpose. really does. Saves you a lot of money. We can all go eat it. The Hacienda Real at the end of it. I mean, it's, it'd be good, man. It's, you don't have to spend all that. You can if you want to. You just want to stress yourself out and lose hair or add grays or whatever. It's totally up to you. Maybe you just had a baby. <laughs> You remember that season of life when you just had a baby and you're like, oh, my Lord, 
what do I do with this? <laughs> it's 3 a.m. and this little child is screaming its head off at you. I mean, you have done everything that you know to do and mama is asleep for the first time in five days and you're wondering, where is my mama and why is she not here helping me right now? And that baby, you didn't think a child could make this kind of noise. You didn't know something six pounds could make you feel the way that you feel right now. But this kid is screaming in your face and there's nothing you can do about it. You've been there. Maybe you haven't. Good for you. Have another one. I hope you do get there. <laughs> Headaches, depression, arthritis. Come on. Hairs going in, coming out other places. It's stressful, man. Whatever it is. Maybe you're alone. You feel alone. You're afraid. These are not necessarily evil things. They're just, they're just facts of life. You're hurting beyond bear. You're upset about something. You can't take one more thing. And then you're reminded, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. But listen, that's not the truth. In fact, the truth is just the opposite, actually. Um, so why do people say this? Why do people say this phrase? It's actually a misquote of a scripture that we're going to go back to next week. But it's a misquote of this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And I left out the first part. We'll, we'll visit the, the, the first half again next week. But the Bible says God is faithful. Hey, that's good news, by the way. For all that stuff I was just talking about. That's really good news. Because even though He may give you more than you can handle... The Bible gives a promise in three words that, that if you can remember that promise, you can make it through to the other side. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able or beyond what you can handle, beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out. See, God never said He will not give you more than you can handle the scripture says God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But scripture shows this truth that God will allow you to endure more than you thought you could handle. God will allow you to endure more than you thought that you could handle. In fact, it is what makes God, God in our lives. It is what shows God's faithfulness when we're going through or we are all of a sudden achieving. We celebrate. The first thing we do every Monday morning is we come in at 8.30 and we pray as a staff. We just made that adjustment not too long ago. We were praying. We were just waiting until Tuesday. I was like, why are we waiting? That was not a good decision on my part. I need to be a better leader. So we come in at 8.30 on Monday and we begin to pray. And then we open up staff meeting and we begin to celebrate. We begin to celebrate the things that God is doing in this place because we know that it is not by our strength or by our might 
or by our power, but by his spirit that we are seeing 50 students, 50 students, 50 students saved on a Wednesday night. Well, how do you know that they're saved? I don't, but the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall receive salvation in that moment. I took them to Jesus. I led them there. You gave so that we could function properly to facilitate all of those students. It's because you gave that we were able to pay $7,000 last year to make room for 40 more students in the sanctuary than we've ever seen come before. And 50 of the 40, come on somebody, that's how God's math works, 50 of them received salvation Wednesday night because God is faithful. Because sometimes God will give you more than you can handle just so He can show you how able He is with a willing vessel. In fact, it's a truth that's evident throughout Scripture. Gideon, I am the weakest of the least of these. He was inadequate. Moses was overwhelmed and a stutterer that couldn't communicate. Jeremiah was like me. God, I'm too young. (laughs) I'm too young. I'm 31 years old. Surely you're not calling me to lead a church. I don't want to lead a church, so I'm at least 40. Like, I just feel good. Just 40 feels like a good round number. I could get going in that phase of ministry. I'm too young. It's like Jeremiah. God, send somebody else. I'll, I'll stay here and I will prepare for the call that you have. That way I feel strong enough to endure it. Listen, that's just not how God works. It's not what God does. Esther was terrified to go before the king and possibly lose her life. Listen to what David says in Psalm chapter 38. In Psalm 38, verse 4, King David, right? The slayer of ten thousands. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Watch this, verse 8. I am exhausted. <laughs> Come on, anybody? Just, just David? Maybe me too sometimes? I'm exhausted. And by the way, can I just, when you get that way, that's not God's will for you. You need to halt. H-A-L-T. You you need to halt. Because you may be hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, and you need to do something about it. And there is no reason in losing your Christianity over 15 people when you could have just had a taco and felt way better about life in that moment. You need to figure out why you feel that way. If you're exhausted, don't just keep going. Stop and make an evaluation. And then when you make the evaluation, make a stinking adjustment. Turn your notifications off on your cell phone. Quit letting somebody else dictate your life. Turn the TV off. Go to bed at a decent time. I'm exhausted, David says. Well, I could stay there too long if I'm not careful. I'm completely crushed. Well, he took it to a new level. My groans come from an anguished heart. There's something wrong with David's soul in this passage. Let's take it to Jesus. Remember when Jesus was in the 
the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he's praying for God's will, but he's begging God that if you could take this cup, let it pass from me. If there's, if there's any other way, and he's, he's, so, and he's in so much anguish. He's, he's in so much stress. He's in so much anxiety. By the way, Jesus bled for your stress and your anguish and your anxiety. Before he ever died on the cross, he shed blood on the garden in the garden about what was about to happen. So the next time that the enemy begins to dangle fear in your life about something that you've got coming up, you remind him, no, no, my Savior bled for that in the garden called Gethsemane. And he endured the cross, was obedient like a lamb led to the slaughter, never made a sound. Jesus bled for that. His authority is already over that. I'm not going to fear what's about to happen. I'm going to walk in the confidence of who I am and the one that bled for me. So in that, but in that, in that, Mark chapter 14, verse 33, the Bible says Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus. God gave his own son more than he could handle. Jesus began to become deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, which is what's causing him to bleed internally and sweat those drops of blood. So the question today is not whether God will allow us more than we can handle, but why? Why does God allow in our lives more than we can handle? Let me give you three reasons that I believe. I only had two until I got to the end of my message and I realized that I had a third. So three reasons why I believe that God will give us more than we can handle. Number one is that we would depend on His presence. That we would depend on His presence. Now listen, I don't, I don't want you to raise your hand unless you just want to. But how many of you would be honest today and just say that when things are going really well, you have a tendency to kind of forget about God. <laughs> when everything's going well and okay, you have a tendency like, Oh, Lord, you know what? I'm sorry. But thank you for all that stuff. And man, I'm hungry. Thank you, Jesus. Bless it. Amen. Okay. But that's what we do when everything's going when everything's going well. You remember the Israelites? They came out of Egypt and they got to the Red Sea and, and they were obedient and they were dependent upon the Lord and then all of a sudden God performed a miracle and they got to the other side of the Red Sea and the Red Sea drowned their enemy, drowned the Egyptian army and they crossed over literally from slavery to, to, to freedom with the, a, a typology of water baptism in the Red Sea and they got to the other side and what they do? Built an altar. Forgot about God. 40 days, Moses is on a mountain receiving the commandments. They go to the other side because everything was the way it was supposed to be. They forgot about God. It's amazing that when life gets difficult, all of a sudden we are drawn back to God. Pastor Craig Rochelle tells a story of, of getting on the airplane, and I can relate to this. Every time, within, within two minutes of the conversation... When you sit beside a stranger on an airplane, within two minutes, they ask you a question and you have to decide, do I want to lie or tell the truth? And you sit down and they say, so, uh, what do you do for a living? It's going to go one or two ways, okay? It's going to go dead south 
and they're not going to want to talk to me for the rest of the flight. Or they're going to all of a sudden pick up this spirit mask that they have hiding in their bag. Because we were just having a normal conversation. But now I'm a pastor. They put on the spirit mask and all of a sudden they become extremely like super religious spiritual. Well, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Thank you, pastor, for all the ministry and the millions of lives that you're changing. May we dwell in the house of the Lord forever on this flight. Hallelujah to the most high God. I believe in divine appointments. I don't know if I had mentioned that. You didn't mention it. A minute ago you were being normal. Now you're weird. Okay, so... No, no, if you, I believe in divine appointments, but I believe God has put you here to, to speak into my life. And I was like, uh, how about I speak? Never mind. But he goes one of two ways, and you have to choose a lie. There have been many times where somebody's like, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm in marketing. I market the gospel. It's, it's not a lie. This happened to Pastor Craig Rochelle, and this lady said, okay, I need you to know two things. Number one, I'm not a Christian. Number two, I don't want you to try to make me one on this flight. He's like, okay, we'll just go straight there then. And they get up in the air, and they're just having conversation. The conversation was fine. He didn't, he honored the request. You know, he's like, well, I tell you what, if you're not a Christian, what's going to happen? You think it's warm right now on this runway. That air is going to come on in a minute, and you're going to feel better. But there's an eternal fire. No, that's not what he did. Okay, they got up in the air. He just had casual conversation. They got up in the air, 30,000 feet. How many of you have ever endured a little bit of turbulence on an airplane? Okay, like you go through the storm, and it's like, you're like, Well, apparently this, did that happen to somebody? Because y'all knew what that was. Y'all was like, whoo, okay, good. Uh, apparently on this flight, it was a little worse than normal. It wasn't just like a, a regular little bit of turbulence. It was like the plane was shaking, right? And things were happening. I don't know. Maybe the mask dropped down and, and you're not supposed to put it on your neighbor first, but you put it on yourself. It's like the airplane teaches you to be selfish. Like, I don't care if y'all all suffocate. I got my mask on full. <laughs> so, whatever happens when this lady is like, ah, oh, and she apparently had the, the gift, even though she wasn't a believer, because she wasn't a believer, she didn't, uh, she didn't try to keep, certain things coming out of her mouth and apparently she had the gift of cussing I mean it was just like it just flowed through her she made up combinations that he didn't even know existed and she would put things together that didn't even really go together but for five minutes for five minutes this plane is in the middle of turbulence and so Pastor Craig Groeschel I don't know if you've ever listened to him we we actually kind of robbed this series from this church we didn't kind of we did because they make everything available and they just say use it and so Pastor Craig says leans over this woman and says do you believe in God now and she and she leans she leans back over and in words tells him that there's only one way to heaven and so I don't yeah she said blank you and then to the pastor and then she's like I'm sorry I'm sorry and so they're doing that he starts laughing because he's messing with her and so and he starts he's just kind of sitting there all calm and she said hey preacher hey preacher you know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in him. I don't believe in him now. But, but while you're praying, why don't you go ahead and send one up for me? And Pastor Craig's like, got her. You know? It's amazing. It's amazing how in difficult times, let me tell you, when my dad was in the hospital bed for nine days and he was brain dead because his, his heart had stopped beating for an hour, it's amazing, amazing 
that they called all the spirit-filled people that still believed in supernatural signs, wonders, miracles, and healings. My uncle from Alabama, who's a tongue-talking Pentecostal, who makes people feel really uncomfortable, but he was the one that they wanted in the room that my Nana was asking for to come pray whenever my dad was on his deathbed. It is amazing what a difficult time will draw out of an individual who is in need of a miraculous God. And sometimes, sometimes God will allow us to go through things that we can't handle so that we can depend upon His presence. You can see the reality of this in the story of Jonah. Remember God told Jonah to go down to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And and Jonah argued with God. He actually ran from God. And, And you see Jonah's rebellion. And by the way, when you rebel against the call of God on your life, as a personal testimony I'll share in just a few minutes, when you rebel against the call of God on your life, you need to understand that you just began the greatest downward spiral that you will ever experience. And that's what happened to Jonah. He went in the wrong direction. When God had told him to go this way, he went that way. And he ends up in the belly of a fish, a big fish, with apparently a big belly, for three days. And watch what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord. But friend, He answered. In my distress, in my rebellion, in my disobedience, I called to the Lord. And He answered me. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, when it was spiraling out of control, I was suffocating In the mess of my own decision, my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Sometimes God will allow us to go through things that cause us to remember who He is. He will allow us to endure some things in our distress that will cause us to call upon Him so that He can answer I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. See, you can write this down. We tend to forget in our success and remember in our distress. Does everybody remember September 9th, 2001? It was a Sunday, just another Sunday. The churches were about the same as they were the week before. All across the United States, the Bible Belt included, people were in and out of church. Maybe they came that morning because they happened to wake up on time or they weren't too tired from all that Saturday had to offer. And so they decided, oh, let's go to church this this week. Or maybe September 9th, 2001, they decided, man, I'm just, oh, man, we've had a long week. Oh, it's been a long week. Man, he's going to preach. It's the same old thing every week. Live live for God. This is what God says. Receive salvation. Let's go home. Whatever reason. But then all of a sudden on Tuesday morning, September 11th, 2001, our nation was under attack. And my pastor was on staff at a church in Oklahoma. The week before, the pastor of his church 
was in his office looking out his window, praying for his city, asking God to send people to the church that he and the church could facilitate into faith to the next phase of their lives. That prayer became a reality that they weren't ready for by the next Sunday. By the next Sunday, there was a line of cars. Ten minutes before the service started, a line of cars down the same empty road just a week before. Why? Because we tend to forget in our success. Oh, but all of a sudden, we are once again one nation under God in the midst of our distress. And here we are in 2018, beginning to forget again. See, sometimes we get in a storm and we begin to doubt God. God, are you there? Why will you not answer me? Why will you not do something? Why is this happening? If there was a God, this wouldn't be happening. Where are you now that this is going on? I want you to remember this, friend. You can never let the storm, the presence of a storm, cause you to doubt the presence of our God. The storm is never more powerful than the God that may be letting it pass through at that moment. And if you will keep your eyes on Jesus, He is not just the author, He's the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. And the presence of the storm does not dictate the presence of our God. In fact, my view of the storm does not determine how I feel about God. My view of God determines how I feel about the storm. I'm not unhappy. I'm not miserable. I choose joy in the face of sorrow and pain and sickness. I count it a joy because I'm depending, I'm depending on the presence of something bigger, someone better so when the wind blows and the waves crash I look up and I still see Jesus walking on water because I know in whom I have put my trust David said in Psalm 145 verse 18 this is the new living translation I love this the Lord is close the Lord is close to all who call on him I never sensed any more powerful of a presence of God's Spirit than the night that I was in the room praying for my dad when nobody else was around. It was in that moment of my greatest weakness, the greatest distress that I had ever seen, the atmosphere of the most fear that I had ever been a part of. Shock, overwhelming, and yet, the presence of God that gives peace in the midst of the storm. See, I believe that God uh, actually will allow more than we can handle to get our attention. It was in 2005 and 2006 that I really began to sense God having something for me in my life. And, and I knew that I was supposed to leave LSU Shreveport where I was playing baseball and had a scholarship, and find, uh, academic and athletic. And, and I sensed I was, I was supposed to go to Bible college because God had a call on my life. And, 
And because of circumstances and situations, I didn't do it at that time. And, and not only did I not do that, but I had made a covenant with God. And I don't ever recommend doing, making a, a covenant with God. He already made a covenant with you. Just receive the one that he's already made. Okay? Um, I'd made a covenant with God, and, and I broke the covenant with God. And, and because I didn't answer the call, and, and I wasn't obedient, and I, and I broke a covenant, and I, I entered back into to things that I never should have been in, I began this downward spiral, and it was actually in the midst of this downward, downward spiral that I met uh, the friend of a girl that one of my friends was dating. And, and that night, we, we had, I had my first uh, shot of alcohol at 19 years old. I had never done that before. And, and then by, by six months later, not only had I broken that covenant, but I lost count of how many people and I lost count of how many places, how many drinks. I began to smoke, dip, drink. I said I believed in Jesus, and I was going to bust the gates of hell wide open. And in February of 2006, in a relationship with that girl that I had met, we came to a crossroads because I had been more unfaithful, more manipulative. And now this time, I was suffering the consequence of some of the things that she decided to react because of my actions and I looked at her, and she said, what do you want? You just expect just a miracle to happen, and God make it all go away? And I said, since this morning I woke up, I have been begging God to give me one more chance to perform a miracle. And I'm, I promise you, and I'm, I'm still in the midst of that promise right now this morning, I promise you, that I will get back on track. I know what it means to follow Jesus because I've done it before. And I promise you that as long as I'm following Jesus, you can trust God to trust me. But if I ever stop following Jesus, you need to know that I will crush you. I will ruin your life because I'm ruining mine. I need one more chance. I married her two years later. We went into the ministry a year later. We had three children in the ministry. We're pastoring a church in Eunice, Louisiana. I didn't lose my scholarships. I made straight A's for the next two and a half years just by going to class and looking at my own paper. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we began to see and receive the call of God because we were willing to follow Jesus, but it was in the midst of all of those consequences based on bad decisions that I needed. I depended on the presence of God in a new way. It was when I was the most aware of my need for Him. Number two this morning, if you're taking notes, God will sometimes allow us to go through more than we can handle so that we can experience His power. Experience His power. Not just depend on His presence, but actually have an experience that we can point back to. An experience that will give us a moment that we can remember in the midst of the next thing that we're going to have to go through. When we don't think He'll give us one more thing we can handle, something else comes along and we make the mistake of continuing to try to deal with it on our own because we think we can handle. It's because we've been programmed to believe that God will never give us more than we can handle. 
And if you're programmed to believe that God will never give you more than you can handle, then in the midst of something where you should have handed it over to Him because your ability has actually run out, you will continue to try to make a way yourself and handle it on your own. Okay? And when you do that, You are costing yourself, not that you shouldn't strive and continue in your best effort, but you need to realize, we need to realize that God doesn't expect us to have the strength. He expects us to experience His strength. And we can't always handle it on our own. We need to try, we need to quit answering every dare. Come on, guys. I remember when I was a youth leader, I was not a youth pastor. I was not responsible for this kid. I should not have done this, but this story is hilarious, and I wanted to share it. Because guys just have this thing on the inside of them when someone says they can't do something. So I I told a young man, and I hope this is okay, I'm going to share it. I'll I'll text him later his name, Tim Vandenboom. And I love Tim Vandenboom. I love their family, great people. Man, it made a connection with his mom and dad. And and if they're just now finding out that I did this, I'm really sorry. I'll talk to you guys later. Um, But we were at, there was two things I dared Tim Vandenboom to do. And he he answered the challenge on both both of them. The first one was to eat Mad Dog 357. That's a hot sauce that has a, over a million on the Scoville scale. Okay, uh, just to give you an idea, a jalapeno pepper has a 60,000 on the Scoville scale. Mad Dog 357 has over a million. I said, dude, you won't put that on your, on your sub and eat it. It was at Firehouse Subs in Shreveport, and he put it on his sub, and he ate it. And for the next 45 minutes, I wondered if I was going to have to take that dude to the emergency room. He was walking around outside in a way that an individual should never be. I mean, it just, he was in a bad way, y'all. And then, but it wasn't too long. I think it was at Firehouse again. It was like Firehouse had the anointing for me to give a teenager something dumb to do. And so I was, well, I don't remember what we were talking about, but I was like, Tim thought he could do a back flip I was like Tim have you ever done a backflip before he's like no but I can I was like no you can't (laughs) prove it (laughs) I should have been the wisdom in that moment but I was in my early 20s what I realized now looking back is that early 20s ain't much smarter than early teens it really ain't no offense just saying the only difference is that you're still willing to watch other people do what you won't no longer try to do yourself (laughs) So I said, Tim, you can't do a backflip. Prove it. He's like, I will prove it. And he does like this. I, whoa, whoa. You are on concrete, son. Hang on a second. At least get in the grass, y'all. Tim goes over to the grass, and it wasn't like, like Eunice grass. It was like in the middle of a parking lot grass. You know, like the little curb deal with the rounded edge, and in the middle of that thing. It was hard as a rock. It had some green stuff on top, but that was a, that was, that was a facade. Tim goes to prove himself. He dump, he jumps, dumps. <laughs> he might have done that too. I don't know. He, I'm sorry. He jumps back and he flips and he gets halfway. The only problem is Tim's like 6'2", mainly feet. Okay? And Tim comes around and he doesn't tuck. He doesn't, doesn't do anything right. We have some people in the right seat. Well, you got to tuck. You got to do something right. I mean, he's like all out. Woo! He comes around. on that crown and then he just lays there I was like oh my lord he's dead get the oil (laughs) just lays there and he ends up being okay you know a couple hours later but there's just something about 
trying to do things in your own strength when you've never done them before. But it's when you realize that you don't have to do it all in your own strength. In 1 Corinthians, Paul actually, the Bible says three times, three times, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says three times, He's asking God, please remove this thorn from my flesh. And it wasn't like he prayed for it three times in an instant. This was like, the the way that this is translated, it's like three seasons. So it would be like continuing to ask God for something in three different seasons. Fasting and praying, believing and hoping. Nothing happens. You just press on. You you come to it again, and it hits you again. You fast, and you pray, you hope, you believe. You know in whom you have put your trust. You know that your God is able, and He is willing, because you read it all throughout the Scripture, and yet He doesn't remove the thorn. And so you you, you take it to the next phase. You, you, You go like full out fast. Like you don't drink anything but water for 7 to 21 to 40 days. And and you have small groups praying. And you text the church. And you put it on New Hope family and friends. Everybody's praying and believing for this person and the thorn of the flesh to be removed. The chronic, the chronic headache, the seizure, the cancer, the disease, the sickness, the pain, the divorce, whatever it is. Everybody's fasting and praying and believing that the thorn of flesh would be removed. And God didn't remove it. But God spoke. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God says, My grace is sufficient for you. I know I'm not doing what you're asking me to do. I'm not doing it on purpose. Because my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. If you could handle it You wouldn't need me. It's why God touched Jacob's hip. The Bible says God touched Jacob's hip. And he got up and he had a new limp. What he really had was a new remembrance of a night that he would never forget for the rest of his existence. When he wrestled with God and God won. (laughs) And he walked away different. Therefore, watch what Paul says. Therefore, I'm not even, I'm not going to stop praying. But you just leave this, this thorn in the flesh thing. You know what? We're just, let's just go with it. Therefore, I will boast. You're going to leave me with it? That's fine. You tell hell that I will boast. Keep it coming. All the more gladly about my weakness. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. What do you do with a guy like that? Hell's got to be looking around going, what do you want us to do now? Kill him. You can't. Because you go kill Paul and he's like, oh, would you? (laughs) To... To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Thank you. What do you do with somebody who has depended on God's presence and experienced God's power so much that they're willing to walk through anything as long as they're walking with Jesus? I'll boast in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. (laughs) Are you stupid as that? I delight. 
in the thorn in my flesh. I delight. Whatever it is, I delight in it. My finances, the relationships that the enemy's attacking, this city that needs Jesus, these children that are hurting and haven't done anything, these teenagers that are giving themselves away in the backseat of a moving bed because their parents thought they had enough responsibility. What do I do? I will delight because I know that I am weak. I am weak, but He is strong. So I will delight in my weakness. I will delight in the insults. I will delight in the hardships. I will delight in the persecutions. I will delight in the difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong because I know my Father has a hold of my life. I don't have to be stronger. I have to continue to surrender. We need to stop rowing. start sailing the church needs to put the sails back up and let the wind of the spirit take them where he wants them to go that doesn't mean that you just let God do everything no you got to get the boat you got to put it in the water you got to raise the sail you got to keep your hand on the stern you got to make sure that you keep going in the direction that the wind is blowing. But then the wind blows you and takes you in the direction. We don't need more strength. We need to remain obedient. Some of you, I, I have been obedient. That's, I, changed, I, I said we need to have more obedience at first when I wrote this. And I believe the Holy Spirit checked me. You see, you don't need more obedience. You just need to remain obedient. Chris, I've been obedient. Awesome. Stay the course. Keep following Him. Keep walking. Fix your eyes on Him. Here's number three. Why will God give us more than he, we can handle? He will allow it, by the way, if I haven't convinced you. So He can have His will in my life. Can you make that personal right where you are? God, I want you to have your will in my life. Not my will. Remember Jesus praying in the garden? Oh God, if you can remove this cup, if you can remove this thorn, if you can remove this pain, if you can remove this worry, this anxiety, if you can remove this guilt, if you can remove this shame, everything that the cross was about to pour out. If you can remove it, please remove it. And yet I pray, not my will, oh God, but yours. See, when our ability runs out, this is for somebody, don't miss this. When our ability runs out, he runs in. Because his grace, his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect, not in your strength, but in your weakness. So you need more help fulfilling that task at work. 
less of me, more of him. You need help raising those babies, praying for those children? Less of me, more of him. You need help leading that project? You need help paying those bills? Come on, somebody, let's get real for a minute. Because God cares just as much about your finances as he does your faith. Because sometimes your finances affect your faith. Some of us are praying, I I need help completing. I I need help being an example for Jesus. I keep trying. I keep striving. I keep rowing. I need more investment in the ministry. I, I sense something in my heart. I need help being married to this man. Come on, somebody. I almost said woman, but I didn't want to pay for that for the rest of the afternoon. I'm not ignorant. I'm going to tell you. John 3.30. New Living Translation. Watch this. I love this. He must become greater and greater. Increase. Greater and greater. And I must become less and less. Would you pray with me right where you are? I'm not sure who I'm talking to today. But you've been asking God to change it. You've been asking God to intervene. Come on, hone in. Don't get your stuff together yet. This is the most important part of the service. Don't tune out right now. Tune in. You've been fighting, you've been striving, you've been praying, you've been asking, you've been hoping. You've been asking God to change it. You've been asking why. And today, God spoke to you and said, listen, I I want you to stop asking that and start letting me reveal myself in a new way. Start letting me help you depend on my presence, experience my power, and have my will in your life. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand right where you are? We're going to pray over you as a church. Father, for every person in the room right now, all across this place, we unite with them and we remind them that they're not alone and they don't have to be afraid. Father, right now, if they have someone they love that's hurting and facing a hardship, I pray for the single mom in the room. I pray for the marriage that's hanging on by a thread. I pray for the person that's watching in their living room that wishes they could be here. I pray for the person with a bad report from the doctor. I pray for the the person with a wayward child. I pray for the person with their own guilt and their own shame. Or I pray for the person that's suffering a consequence of somebody else's sin this morning. I plead your blood. And I pray, Father, that your power would be perfected in their weakness. And that they would learn what it truly means to experience less of themselves and therefore more of you. God, would you intervene and show that you are faithful. Lord, let them put down the roads and lift the sails. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would blow into their lives and lead them in the direction that you have for them. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, as you continue praying right where you are, remember David said, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. There's some people in the room today. You got to let Jesus in. 
to the things that you're going through aren't, aren't because you've been walking with Jesus. They're because you're not walking with Jesus. It's not God just trying to get your attention. It's God trying to get you to turn to Him. You're like Jonah. You're living in disobedience and wondering why everything is falling apart. But can I tell you today that you are the reason that Jesus prayed. You are the reason that Jesus carried the cross. You are the reason that He laid down His life on Calvary. And you are the reason that He burst forth from the grave three days later. You were not created to do it on your own. We all need Jesus. That is why He came. So today, if that's for you, I want you to lift your hand right where you are. I need Jesus. I need to make this right today. I don't want to go any further. I want to make sure that my heart is in His hand. My house is in His hand. I want to stop living my way and start living His way. Come on, church, all across the sanctuary, whether you raised your hand or whether you didn't, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. I want you to pray this prayer with all of your heart. Jesus, forgive me for not believing and for living my way. Save me. Take my life. Make it yours. Help me to follow you with all of my heart. No matter what I face, I want to live for you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were raised from the dead. And in you, I am a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can somebody give him praise right where you are today? Come on, stand all over this sanctuary today. We love you and we thank you so much for being here. If you don't have a church home, you just found one. I'm just speaking it. Come on, if you believe that and you're in this church, if you're a guest today, I want you to know this church loves you. Not just this pastor, not just this staff, this church loves you. And we're creating a Christ-centered culture here where we follow Him for everything that He has for us as a body and the community that He has placed us in. Hey, right after our second service today, we've got our third next steps. So if you've been through the first two and you haven't completed the third, come, come sit in with us this afternoon and let's get, that, let's get that finished. You'll meet some of our people. You'll meet some of our leaders, some of our dream team leaders. We'll show you everything that we've got going on, everything that we've got coming up. We'll feed you. We'll keep your kids. Come on, that's a good deal. I'd go just for that. You feed me and keep my kids? Baby, I don't care what you say after that. I'm coming. Okay? If I've never gotten to meet you, my wife and I have never gotten to meet you, Please come to lunch today. We want that opportunity. We won't keep you. We'll dismiss you before we hold everybody else. But we want to meet you. We want to connect with you. And we want to introduce you to some more people. Small groups are coming up. Those are in your bulletins. Don't forget about all the things that God has. And, and listen, stop rowing. You hear me? Stop rowing. Start sailing. When your ability runs out, and by the way, you got to give it your all. He expects that. The best with all of your heart is unto the Lord. Give it everything that you have. And then at the end of that, watch Him run in and do what only He can do. Would you open your hands like I'm handing you a present? I'm going to bless you. We're going to get out of here today. Father, I love you and I thank you for these people. I thank you for their family.